Well, good morning. Kind of got some cool music there. I, maybe we should just keep playing that while I'm speaking. It's kind of like a whole jam there. But I um, uh, <clears throat> wanted to start this morning by just uh, kind of introducing to you something that uh, you're probably very familiar with now. But just kind of give you a little bit of insight into what's going to happen. So that's September 30th, right? Uh, how many Sundays is that? About eight, seven, right? There's five in September. So eight Sundays from today. Um, we are going to celebrate being 50 years old. I guess we've been 50 year old, years old most of this year. 1968, a man in defiance. The Lord starts speaking to him. Lays on his heart. Hey, you need to go to Napoleon and start a church. He shows up in Napoleon, uh, you know, expresses the desire to start a church. Some people start to meet with him. They start to meet in the armory, what is now, I guess it's always been the armory probably, um, in the armory. They worship for a little while, a couple years, start to, uh, more and more people start to come. They decide to buy some land right out here, build this little church, mid-70s, and uh, boom, that's just the way it's been uh, for uh, now 50 years 50, right? Um, 50 is a big deal, and we want to celebrate our, our birthday, so to speak, our, our, uh, our birthday, 50 years, and uh, so we are doing this day right, okay? Um, this is not an ordinary common day here at the church, and so I'm just asking you September 30th to uh, think, hey, I'm going today, there's one service, and we're eating lunch, if I've got kids, there's all sorts of inflatables and games. Um, there's going to be a cornhole tournament. When you show up that day, you're going to pull in. There's a 140-foot by 60-foot tent that's going to be out, out here, okay? It's going to look different. Even when you pull in, you're going to have to park a little bit differently. Um, and uh, what we're going to do is uh, you can come a little bit early if you want, 9 o'clock, have some coffee, you know, some donuts, some uh, light breakfast type stuff, hang out you want. Um, we'll start church at 10, one service, 10 o'clock. And um, in that service, uh, Dave will be here, Joe will be here, uh, Danny will be here. Um, uh, you know, I thought the, those, those guys and us were the only living guys. Come to, because I had made the assumption, looking back at some of the past and the pictures, that <laughs> don't shoot me for this, all right? But just looking at some of those guys in like 1985, I thought there's no way they're still alive. <laughs> Guess what? There's, uh, there's at least one that's still alive. But is advanced enough, they, they won't be able to be here. So, it, but there'll be a lot of staff. We're going to laugh a lot. We're going to reminisce. We're going to look at where we've come from, what's happened. Um, uh, and then we're going to look at, we're kind of just a brief, hey, look at where we're going. We're just going to have fun that day. We're going to laugh a lot. Hope you come just ready to do that. Uh, then after at 1130, we'll, uh, we'll bring a catering company in. We'll have a, a good meal. And um, then there'll just be stuff scattered around. I think volleyball and cornhole tournament. I think they're even putting together a dunk take. And so each one of the uh, former pastors and present pastors have to take a turn in the dunk tank. So, um, yeah. So if you got some little uh, passive aggressiveness toward, toward one of us, well, that's your chance to get it out some little bit, you know, doom. And um, so 
uh, just come ready to celebrate that day. And uh, city leaders are going to be here. Um, Jeff will be here. We're just going to look back. And honestly, as I've thought about this, as I put this together, as I, I want the primary thing is for us to all walk away and be grateful in our hearts to a faithful God who speaks into lives, one man's life that then became thousands of people who have been a part of this church since then. And God has faithfully drawn and placed and moved in all of our hearts. He is so faithful. And we want to celebrate that more than anything else. His faithfulness to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So thinking about, okay, so that's eight weeks away. Um, What do I want to speak about in between our summer and then? And, um, you know, when you turn 50 or when you turn, um, I'm not there yet, but um, when you turn, like, milestone birthdays, a lot of times you take some time to reflect and think about, you know, wow, for me it was 30, Um, I'll be 40 next year, it's not bothering me at all, I I just, 40 doesn't bother, 30 really bothered me, Um, I thought, man, I'm out of my 20s. I've got to grow up here. I've got to figure out what I'm doing or where I'm going, you know. And, um, but I remember in those, in those months leading up to 30, I did. It was like I really took some time to think about who in the world are you? You know, what have you become? What are you becoming? Where are you going? What are your life goals? What are your, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I think we end up doing that. I think a lot of times on New Year's Day, we think about some of those things. But when we, you know, 30, 40, 50. And so I was thinking through, you know, we're going to be talking about where we've been, where we're going. Um, And I was reminded, you know what? There's a portion of scripture where Jesus Christ himself takes a look at, at seven churches and helps them to understand who you are, where you're going, where you've been, what you need to do, what you're doing great. Maybe there's areas. And it's those seven churches in Revelation, right, um, that we read about. You remember that John um, wrote the Revelation in like 90 or 96 AD, somewhere in the 90s. All right, so if most of the scriptures were written in the 50s, 60s, this is written quite a period after um, the other scriptures have been written. John is, um, has been faithful his whole life. He was the one apostle that wasn't martyred, um, so to speak, like the others. Uh, you know, Paul or Peter's crucified on a cross upside down. Paul's, you know, killed in Rome and others. And John has, has suffered through a lot of trials, but he was not martyred. But yet he was still persecuted. And along in the 90s AD, uh, the persecution for him became of such a nature that they took him from where he lived and they exiled him to this island called Patmos. And he was just, he lived there kind of, um, I don't know, it wasn't like Alcatraz, not as sophisticated as Alcatraz, but kind of just where you dump people, hey, just to exile them out from present society. It was a, it was a form of persecution. And it was in that, uh, on that island, as John is living pretty much by himself, that he said one day, and he has this close relationship with the Lord, right? One day, he said it was on a Sunday, that um, all of a sudden the Lord appear, appeared to him in a, just a spectacular fashion. I would remind you that if you're reading Revelation and, and reading chapter 1, 
you see a picture of Jesus that is not what we a lot of times associate with Jesus. A lot of times we think of the paintings, the pictures that we've seen or have, right? I remember I was, my first church, I went in and, and uh, I remember the first week and it was like, hey, you're showing up here and this place is, is uh, it needs a lot of work. Um, there's, a not lot, there's not a lot going on, it's pretty dead. Um, and uh, they just let things go. You ever been there <laughs> in your life? Or like, I just let things go. Or your house, right? Well, just think about that. Think about Hoarders, the show on TV. And you can think about their basement, all right? My office was in the basement. I lasted down there two weeks because the mold was so bad that I figured I was going to lose my life within the first year I was there. Um, so I, I, I got out of there. But I'm like, first week there, I'm like, uh, th- th- I got to do, this is drastic. I got to do something. And so I just looked around. And I said, this is just, just, we don't need this junk. We need to start over. And I called the city. I said, hey, <laughs> what do I do with trash? What, is there a deal here? And they said, yeah, you know what? You can call for a special thing, a special pickup. Just bring it out. Tell us it's out there. We'll come by and get it. Well, hey, by the time I was done, I had a pile that I kid you not was longer than this row and it was from that row to about the edge of the steps and it was about as high as I was. Or I just was throwing stuff, man. Just throwing stuff. Throw. And I was trying to throw it fast enough and get them there quick enough no one saw, right? You know, no, you can't do that. But sure enough, in the middle of all that, throwing that stuff away, I, uh, I come across this picture of Jesus, this big picture of Jesus, right? Mediterranean complexion, a little longer hair, beard, you know, the picture of Jesus just makes you want to smile. Makes you feel good when you look at it. I thought, we don't need this picture of Jesus. So I put it out there. And you know what, sure enough, somebody drives along, some guy, he stops, he sees, you know, those people, and he's like, hey, that picture of Jesus, uh, can I have that? I'm like, Sure. If it draws you closer to Jesus, go ahead. It's not helping us here right now. So I let him take it. Sure enough, Sunday comes. Guess what? I had thrown away one of the sacred artifacts. That picture had sat up on the platform for 40 years. How distracting would that be? Like, you know, 40 years, that picture of Jesus. And that's kind of, you know, what I'm talking about. We have that in our mind. Guess what? John got to see Jesus 60 years after he had ascended to heaven, and this is how Jesus presents himself. You read in chapter one of Revelation. This is important for us to understand. Jesus has white hair, like it's white as snow. His eyes, he said, I looked into his eyes and his eyes were on fire. His eyes were like fire. He said his face shone like the sun. And he said he wore this robe, this robe that went to his feet and it had a, had a sash is what it calls it in scripture. I, I don't know, a girdle, whatever, I don't know. Something to tie a belt, a gold belt. He said when he talked, his tongue, his, it came out, his tongue was like a two-edged sword. I'm not into sci-fi, but let me tell you, this is like, they're not too far off in those sci-fi, like, this is Jesus He said his feet are bronze and it was almost like they were on fire also. And he said, John said, it terrified me so much that I fell down from this 
picture of Jesus as he's standing there and he's holding seven stars in his hands and he's walking in amongst these golden lampstands. He said it was so spectacular and so terrifying that I fell. I think that's an important thing for us to remember. The resurrected Jesus is the resurrected Lord. He is Lord of of all and he is majestic and strong. And So often we have this meek and mild and lowly Jesus and he was all those things, but he is now the resurrected Lord of all who is the triumphant king who will come back as the triumphant king and that means a lot of things. And this is John's picture and as he sees this, Jesus begins to speak to him and he begins to reveal to him to uh, 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 he begins to reveal to him this, this, what he sees in the churches that John has been a part of or in that area. And he speaks to John, he said, these seven churches, here's, what I, here's my message to them. Wow, that's perfect for us, right? We're, we're kind of doing a, a, a kind of a diagnosis of who we are, where we've been, what's going on. Jesus has a diagnosis and you begin to read and realize in Revelation that this diagnosis Jesus makes for those seven churches in that day are present all the time in our world. These are the churches that are represented in our world today. This is what, um, and this is what is amazing to me, Jesus' view, this is Jesus' view of the church 60 years after he left. It's not like so often it was it was before he left and his story, it's after, it's what he sees going on in the world after his church started and he left. Something we really need to pay attention to. And I would remind you that as we look through these for the seven weeks, there are some fascinating things about these churches. Some fascinating um, cultures, some fascinating um, contexts that are exactly, exactly like ours exactly like ours. Things have not changed. Names and places and and fashions have changed, but really the reality of our world has not changed. And, uh, you know, this is Jesus' perception of that. But I would remind you as we go through this series that churches fail because people And so this series is, yes, it's a, hey, this is what can happen in the church, or this is what has been good, this is what has been bad, this is what has been ugly in the church, but honestly, they fail because the lives of those people took on that characteristic before the church took on that characteristic. And so this is an opportunity for us to look at the way churches look, but it's honestly even more deeper, it's a way for us to look at, at our own individual lives as Jesus speaks into it. And he picks, he targets these seven churches um, uh, in this Asia Minor area. So here's John in the Isle of Patmos, right? And he was from Ephesus. He lived in Ephesus a long time. That was his home. He was taken to this this island. Um, And this was a uh, journey of Paul, or the churches that have been started. Um, Not necessarily completely his, but... um, these are the seven churches. Ephesus is the mother church, right? This church we're gonna look at for a little bit today is the mother church. It helped start the other churches. It was, it was the mother church. And um, <clears throat> it, uh, it carries a whole lot of significance for a lot of reasons. 
I think that what I talk about today, uh, we can completely relate to in our own culture and in our own lives. And here's what I'm gonna call this church. I'm just gonna tell you right up front what I believe this church represents. This church is a going through the motions church. Going through the motions. It was a going through the motions church because there was a lot of people in that church that were going through the motions. Ephesus, listen to this place. About 250,000 people. It's a metro area. It's, a, it's got the best harbor in Asia. In fact, it was called the Light of Asia. It was, I don't know where you like to go, New York City, Chicago. Um, some of you are like, neither, <laughs> right? I mean, it was a happening place. It was, um, it, was, uh, it was great for trade and industry. Because of the harbor, ships could get there. So merchants were there. and It was easy to establish your headquarters there. It had a great road system. In fact, four main roads went through Ephesus. In fact, one of the main road, one of the roads that went to Rome went through Ephesus. It's where most of the martyrs that the emperors of Rome wanted to kill in Rome to make a public statement, Christian martyrs, famous Christians, they would travel this road through Ephesus on the road to, to Rome. And it actually, th- that road there became known as the Highway of the Martyrs. It was a, uh, it was a happening place culturally because of its prosperity its location um uh, people flocked there there were new ideas new trends new everything all the time all the time it uh it it was so it was so culturally vibrant and it was so large that they were actually able to build a amphitheater right this is a this is a modern picture so these are some of your first stadiums, right? You can go to Ephesus today and see these ruins. 25,000. And it hosted all sorts of theater plays, political rallies. This place was, was cutting edge, okay? Um, you kind of get the picture. Kind of reminds me of, of modern-day America. We're cutting edge. We're a melting pot. Modern ideas, philosophies, culturally we are, we are advanced um, uh, in so many ways. Ephesus had that feel, that New York City kind of feel. It also was a place that uh, Rome actually decided not to uh, occupy it, even though it was a part of the empire. They didn't even occupy it. There were no troops there. It wasn't like this super secure place. They let them do their own thing pretty much and um, a lot of political stuff. But then because so many people came in and so many people were there, there were all sorts of religions. And some of the most impressive religious facilities of that time resided in Ephesus. In fact, their temple, one of their temples, this is a modern recreation of that temple. It was at the time was seven, one of the seven wonders of the world, all right? It was a huge part of their culture, religion. It was into that, and I actually, if I have time today, um, in this temple garden, there was a tree. Um, And because of their 
advanced or their, their philosophies and the religious, the, the, the people coming from everywhere, they actually in this garden had a tree. Uh, they called it the tree of life. And they actually had this practice in that day that if you were seeking asylum, if you were actually even a criminal, or if you were someone who was running for somebody, you could, you could have asylum at that tree if you were a certain radius from that tree. You were protected. Um, and so Jesus is actually gonna make a play on those words later on. This is the culture that Paul comes into and starts a church, a little church. He spends a couple years here. He spends, um, I think I've read where he spent probably over a thousand hours preaching and teaching in this place. And out of that, a church starts. Paul leaves. You can read about that church starting in Acts 19. It was phenomenal how it started. The power, the glory of God was everywhere. It was so powerful that people were coming up to Paul and saying, Paul, I have a sister who's sick. Will you touch this handkerchief? Paul would touch the handkerchief. They would take the handkerchief back to the sister that was sick, touch her with the handkerchief, and she would be healed completely. It was just mind-blowing, the kind of power that rested on that church. There was a, there was a dynamic presence in that place. It's to that church that Jesus would write these words 60 years 50 years later. To the angel in the church of Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. To the angel, that's the, me- the word is messenger. It's actually pastor. Did you know that we're angels too? You didn't know that? No. Just the way they, they translated the word. To the pastor in the church of Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hands and walks among the seven golden lampposts. And this is what he would say to them. All right, this is why they don't give me things. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. Those are good things, right? Jesus is saying, you guys are incredible. This word, your hard work, it's a word to toil, labor to the point of exhaustion. This was a church that when you went to do something, they showed up. This was a church that when they started a program, they filled it. This is a church that when they had an initiative, they followed it. They, they were not lazy people at all. They were, they were passionate people about your perseverance. In that culture, they were persevered. They were, they were persecuted. And he said, you've been the kind of church that have faced hard times and sufferings from the culture around you, and you've not allowed it to make you quit. In fact, you've, you've made, it's made you better. You have grown from it. You've become better people. You, you, your perseverance, that word is hupomone. I've talked about that word before. You have allowed the sufferings to do something for you. Isn't there a song out there that doesn't kill you, make you stronger, or something like that? All I know is like one line in that, but I want to just sing it right now. I don't really know the whole song, but I've heard it sung enough. That's kind of them. Didn't kill you, it made you stronger. 
He said, I commend you for that. He said this, you know what, you're the kind of people that I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. You've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you found them false. You're smart, you're discerning. You are spiritually discerning. You, you know truth, you know right, and you know a phony. And you, you don't tolerate that in, your, in all of these ideas and philosophies, new age thinking to them at that time, all that stuff, people showing up saying, hey, I think we should do this, or I've heard they're doing that down the road, or they're doing this, and we should do this, and you've been able to discern through all of that. No, that's not even true. That's not right. That's not gospel. You've been able to do that. He said, you've endured hardships for my namesake and you've not grown weary. I would say that these people could be characterized by these three words. Hardworking, tough, smart. Pretty sure that I'd be all right if you wrote that about me. You? I, I strive for these things. This one's a little bit harder for me, but... Hardworking, tough. He said, that's who you are. And I appreciate that about you. But you know what? He goes on, he says this. Yet, this is Jesus, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. You've forsaken the love you've had at first. And here's what had happened. A church that had been dynamically on fire. God's power had been so present to change lives, to change their whole, build a church in the middle of this culture. The power of God had been powerful. The presence of God had been so strong. He said, somehow, you have gotten away from that. You have forsaken, you've abandoned, you've left. Even the word maybe could be used lost that love that you had at first. And it seems very clear that by what he's saying, this is primarily the reason why. He said, you've allowed truth to become your end goal, not love. You've become so concerned about getting things right. You... You want your doctrine to be spot on. And you've been consumed in learning about me. You become concerned in making sure that every I is dotted, every T is crossed. And you know the truth. And you are able to discern, hey, this is a phony, this is right. This is what we should believe, this is what. They, you know, you gotta remember, they had Paul as a pastor. They had Apollos as a pastor. They had Aquila as a pastor. They had John, who was in their church for years. You wanna talk about absolutely super, super teaching? You wanna talk about the brightest of the bride and the ones who could articulate the gospel in the greatest ways? They had that, they had the best. And they were all in theology 401, not 101. They got it, man. That, but that had become their whole, that had become their whole passion, their pursuit. And they began to fall off into this thinking that if I can just know everything right about God, that's what I'm supposed to do. I actually began to develop an attitude, it seemed like, of contempt against compassion. 
And they did all that they were supposed to do because they knew that was the right thing. But what it became was just a form. It was a going through the motions lifestyle. It was this kind of thinking and mindset that, okay, I figured out what I'm supposed to do, and now if I just do what I'm supposed to do, I'm good. And in fact, it actually began to create in them this attitude of, well, listen to what Dan Boone says. Critical thinking has a dark side. It's good to be crit- to think critically, right? Jesus commends them twice. He says, listen, you know if an apostle's false, you know the truth. Later on, a couple verses later, he said, and you even know this, this dangerous heresy, the Nicolaitans, which was really um, still exists today, that basically it doesn't matter how you live as long as you believe your lifestyle doesn't matter. That's the Nicolaitans. He said, you, 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 you hate, you can't tolerate them either. They, they live just, they live because we believe and know things about God and we, we accept those things and it doesn't matter how I live. We hear that a lot today. I wanna go down that road, but I'm not going to. He says, you, you're discerning, those are good. But he said, you've allowed it to create a dark, it has a dark side. When we're convinced that we're right and they're wrong, bad things happen, people are ridiculed, relations have limit, relationships have limit, uh, limit, that's it. <laughs> Sidewalks are scattered with eggshells. Ostracism becomes a sport and words become weapons rather than gifts. And something dangerous happens. In pursuing the art of being right, we lose our love. That's what's happening. In fact, Scott Daniels would say it this way, few of any of us who are believers accepted Christ into our lives because we were doctrinally argued into the church. I don't know very many people. Maybe Lee Strobel, that's the first one that comes to mind. Other than that, most of us are Christians because of this. It was the love of God demonstrated in the life of a spirit-filled body of Christ that wooed us into a relationship with the Father. Unfortunately for the Ephesian church, in the pursuit of protecting their boundaries, it risked losing the very force that gave it life. (laughs) And Jesus said, listen, you've taken a detour. You've made knowing about me bigger than knowing You know, the the way I think about this is how I think about my marriage. Um, We dated for just one year. (laughs) Teenagers, plug your ears, right? Parents. We met in October, we married in October. No, we met in September, started dating in October. You remember those days? Come on. You remember starting to date? I remember spending five hours with her, getting home to my apartment within 10 minutes, calling her on the phone. Like, what is that, right? I just couldn't get enough. Couldn't get enough. And it was like who she was, you know, her beauty, you know, physically who she was, mentally who she was, 
Everything about her just grabbed me. I was captivated, right? And that led into this relationship that extended into an engagement that moved into a wedding day that then was, you know, first year of marriage. It's just, do you remember those days? Come on. It was like a drug almost, right? It's wonderful. It's the way it's supposed to be. He's saying, listen, you had that with me. Those first days this church started, people were finding Jesus. It was like that. It was lovely. But what can so often happen in marriages is you settle into a routine, right? And this is the way it looks. I'm figuring out the right things to do for my marriage. I'm expected to go work a job, so I do that. I'm expected, like for me, I'm expected to take care of everything outside the house, so I do that. Well, inside too if it's, you know. But I'm expected to do this, 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 and this, and I figured out the parameters of what I'm expected to do, and I'm very faithful at that. I'm very faithful at that. I do what I need to do to meet the expectations of this relationship. You hearing me? And pretty soon, guess what? Those are good things. Trust me, right? <laughs> start to not pull your weight. You'll hear about it, right? And things start to, yeah, rightly so. Nothing wrong with that. But what so easily happens in marriage is that becomes the end goal. I'm just making it work. I'm doing the right things. We're, instead of the end goal being what brought you guys together in the first place. A sharing of lives and hearts. A companionship that just, it, it, the potential there to literally intertwine my life with someone that over the years, you just become closer and closer and closer. And so often marriages take this detour where we're just doing the routine. And we don't connect very much. And we don't have those, that spark's kind of gone. But yet, hey, we're doing the right thing. We're doing the right thing. You know, I said in first service, and I didn't mean to say this, but I said one thing that Nicole and I said early on, I said when we were young and dumb, I took that back and I said when I was dumb because I didn't want to put her in that place. She's not dumb. Although maybe her intelligence is questioned a little bit by marrying me, right? One thing we said, we didn't know what we were doing. We just wanted to figure out ways to like, you know, keep, keep the romance. And that's what I'm talking about here. The, the connection, that intimacy. We said, you know what? We're gonna make a deal that every five years on our fives, we're gonna go on a trip, right? So we've done that. And we just actually came back from one. Um, our 15-year anniversary. Can you believe I'm that old? Got married when I was 16. <laughs> 15 years. We didn't know what we had said, but you know what? And we've always, we tried to date. It's very hard with four kids, Right? to have a dating relationship still, but trying to do that. But you know what? 
just thinking about that trip and experiencing that, and we were, we'd sit down by the water at night, and the waves would roll in, and we'd, we just found a corner of that place, and we, I remember one night, we just started talking about, like, when we met, and just, you know, stuff. You know how powerful that is? Just keeps connecting us. Keeps that spark there. I walked away from that trip and just, again, from my own heart, not that we had actually went through a tough time right now, but just, it just re-energized my compassion, my love for this woman. And it helped me to focus on who she's become even more and just appreciate her and, and get beyond, yeah, I'm doing the right things. I'm providing, I'm doing this, I'm good, trying to be a good dad. Um, you know, I got my box, she's got her box, we're making this work. He said, you're everything. But I feel like we're not even in a relationship anymore. You've walked away from that thing that brought us together. He said, I hold that against you. And I wanted to, to say to you today, that churches very easily, churches very easily can get sidetracked on activity and filling their calendars and doing a lot of good things and totally lose the presence and the power and the spirit of God in their gatherings and what they're about. So this is what you're doing. You're doing everything right. You're, wow, way to go, guys. You check the boxes. But I don't feel like we're in love. We're not in love. But guess what? That's not only true of churches, that's true of individuals. And I would ask you these things. How does a relationship thrive? Time and communication, right? Time and communication. Time and communication. And I would ask you this. Just some simple questions. If I can find it here. I'm going to skip that. When is the last time you were lost in worship? You might be checking all the boxes today, but that's what it's become. You are stuck. You are lost in a routine. You are just the product of a routine. When was the last time you literally got lost in the greatness and the glory of your Father? If part of falling in love is being captivated by that other person, and for me, just an anniversary trip, even though we try to do that, it was a special time that once again, I just was captivated all over again by this person God put in my life. And it just made me just love her more, and it just drew me closer. I thought, wow. You know, it also reminded me, man, she's aging well and I'm not. With our Father, when's the last time you've allowed yourself to be captivated by who He was, who He is? Do you get lost in worship? Do you allow yourself to do that? What about this? When's the last time you were so overwhelmed by His grace that it literally all, it started to make you uncomfortable? What I mean by that is 
you have become so overwhelmed <laughs> that you're tempted to do something that's a little bit crazy. That's what Paul said. Paul in Corinthians said, sometimes I get so overwhelmed by God's grace to me that I do crazy things. That's what he said, if you understand the language. Like, I just yell out loud, or I, you know, I get so excited that people around me are like, what is wrong with that guy? When's the last time you've been over, so overwhelmed by God's grace that you've made it, you're even yourself uncomfortable, let alone the people around you? That's a part of recapturing or having that first love, that love that was at the beginning. It makes us do crazy things when we're overwhelmed by it in marriage, right? I've been willing to be (laughs) sometimes foolish just to try to express my love to Nicole. So overwhelmed by it, I just, I didn't care who saw what, you know, like, we do that all the time. You read about it, you see it. When's the last time I've done that with the Lord? Or maybe this. When was the last time you were so moved by the misery and brokenness around you it ended up costing you time, money, and comfort? He said, you're checking all the boxes, but your love that you had at the beginning, it was for me and it was for others. He said, when was the last time you allowed that to move you so much by what God had done for you and what he gave to you that you just had to share it with somebody else who was miserable and broken and who needed the hope of the gospel? He said, this is the kind of relationship I want to have with you where you're overwhelmed, where you're lost in me, where you're moved by me, and there's this ongoing, right? It happens in our marriages when we're in love. I, I gotta be honest, we ended up going to the, the Caribbean this time. For me, the Caribbean's not like a, that's on my top place to go, right? I love it, I loved it. But I, I you know, if you're gonna say, hey, take a trip anywhere in the world, I'm going to the Swiss Alps, I'm going to, you know, like that. But I was so moved by these 15 years with Nicole that I wanted to do something for, that she wanted, the Caribbean's like high on her, it's like top of the list, right? And I said, you know what, I don't care. I wanna, because I'm so moved by her, I got, we're doing this, this is, you know. Now I loved it, don't get me wrong, I go back next week. I'm taking any kind of donations. <laughs> Seriously, I go back next week, it was great. But it was moved primarily by her. This is how we recapture that. You see, Jesus says this. He says, consider how far you've fallen. We were so close. What happened? I'm looking on and saying, you're doing all the right things by me, but I don't even feel close to you. I'm not, consider how far we've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at the first. Go back to when you first were in relationship with me. What were those things? Allow those things to live. He gives them a warning. He says, if you don't repent, I'll just, I'll remove your lampstand. But he promises this. See, he calls them to remember, remember, 
How am I gonna capture that love? I remember what brought us together. It's one of the things I always try to tell couples. Why'd you guys hook up? What was it about each other that made you wanna hook up with each other? You need to remember that, capture that. Life and all these expectations and routine drowns that out, remember. I tell you today, remember. Remember what it was like to first find Jesus. Remember what it was like to, to uh, be just, to feel the forgiveness he offered and that new life and that grace. And Remember that. Turn, repent of this kind of lifestyle of routine. Treat it like you would as if you walked out and shot somebody. You'd feel awful, right? You'd be like, oh, I've sinned. I, I've done this. It's awful. I'm repenting. God, forgive me. He said, treat this like you do that. Because you were always, de you were designed to live in a close relationship with me. And you need to repent of anything less than that. Confess it to me. Agonize over it. Be sorrowful for it. Come to a point where it so grabs your heart, you have to do something about it. And return to that life you first had with Jesus. He goes on and he makes a promise. Whoever has ears to ear, let him hear. And to the one who does this, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. <laughs> that culture promised a tree of life that was just asylum. Here Jesus is saying the tree of life is far more. In fact, this is what he promised us, isn't it? I have come that you might have life and you might have it to the full. Just as our marriages are created to be a close, growing, fulfilling companionship, in a greater measure, our relationship with God is all those things and more. It's called the abundant life. I would remind you of this. A going through the motions lifestyle is broken by an intentional choice to experience the abundant life. Church at Ephesus, church at Napoleon, Chip Bullock, you can get so consumed by getting things right about God that you can blow right by knowing God very well. I can get so consumed with doing the right things for God that I can lose my relationship with Him. So I invite you to stand and would you just pray with me before we go? Lord, we do not want to be a church that gets so focused on the right things the right thinking that it consumes us so much that it becomes it becomes a weakness to us instead of being a strength it becomes a weakness you call us to live truth to live right but Lord it's motivated it's in the context of love Primarily, it's what you call us to, to love God, 
love, have a love relationship with you. Close. Not one of routine. And so, Lord, help our church as we look back and as we think about who we are, where we're going. Help us not to be a church ever so consumed by doctrine that we lose love. And Lord, help us as people, individuals, to stay in that close relationship with you. To not be deceived by checking all the boxes, but to know that the evidence of our relationship with you is the person and the power of the Holy Spirit evident in our lives in this ongoing relationship with you. Thank you for these words. Thank you for this truth. Thank you for the promise. We all need to hear, and some of us maybe today need to hear this. It's exactly who we are and where we're at. Well, you don't say, oh, you're just doomed. That's who you are. Sorry about that. You offer a promise to him who is victorious, to him who hears this and responds, to him who turns from routine to relationship. You have the abundant life I promised. Give us the courage and the strength if we need to make that step. And may this all be a great word of of warning to each of us to not live lives of routine, to live lives of relationships, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Have a great day. Have a great week. Enjoy the fair.